Hello, welcome back. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Emily. We're the executive directors and co-founders of ATX TV. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. This week and coming up through the end of 2021, we're releasing exclusive and original conversations from our Season 10 Festival that premiered in June 2021. Please enjoy this week's release and tune in both here and on youtube.com backslash ATXTV for even more TV goodness. Without further ado, here's this week's TV Campfire episode from Season 10 of ATX TV Festival. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to ATX TV Festival Season 10. I'm Jennifer Morgan, the Festival's Director of Programming, and I'm excited to introduce our guests for Abortion on TV, Advancing the Narrative, presented by USC Annenberg Norman Lear Center at Hollywood Health and Society. With anti-abortion legislation on the rise across the U.S., including in our home state of Texas, it's hard to imagine a more timely or critical conversation at this moment. As a window into experiences outside of our own, and a powerful tool for visibility, empathy, and even education, TV can and has made a difference in opening up conversations around abortion. Each of these panelists have contributed to that dialogue in powerful ways, and we're very grateful to have them joining us today. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce our, the Director of Hollywood Health and Society, Kate Langrofold, to talk a bit about the services that they provide. Hi, Kate. Hey, how are you doing this, this day? <laughs> Bring us. Um, yeah, hi everybody. I uh, I'm Kate Fold. I'm director of Hollywood Health and Society, and we're a program uh, that studies and helps shape how entertainment affects audiences. And we know from our research and that of others that storytelling, in addition and first and foremost of being entertaining, can also help inform and inspire viewers to make healthier choices in their own lives. So we're super excited to sponsor this panel about a topic that, as Jen said, is in the news right now, um, but is still rarely covered in entertainment television. So why is that? Well, with this panel, we're gonna find out. And if you'd like to learn more about Hollywood Health and Society, you can just go to hollywoodhealthandsociety.org and learn lots of stuff there. Thank you so much for being here. Take it away, Jen. All righty. Thanks, Kate. Um, and now I'd like to introduce our panelists, um, starting with Merritt Tierce, a writer for Orange is the New Black, who will be pulling double duty as both panelist and moderator for today's conversation. There you are. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hi. Uh, next, we have Karina Adley McKenzie, a longtime ATXer and most recently creator, showrunner, and executive producer for Roswell, New Mexico. Hey, Karina. Hi. Hey. Next, we have Janine sherman Berois, showrunner, writer, and executive producer for Claws, amongst many other fantastic shows. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. Next, we have Linda Schuyler, co-creator and executive producer of Degrassi High, Degrassi The Next Generation, and Degrassi Next Class. Hi, Linda. Hi there. And last but not at all least, we have JC Heldrich, writer for The Handmaid's Tale. Hi, JC. Hi, everybody. All right, take it away, Merit. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and um, thank you to, to ATX and to Hollywood Health and Society for putting this together. It's a really important thing to talk about, and um, and uh, I just want to thank all of our festival goers and fans who are watching this. Um, I'm from Texas, and I also, uh, before I was a writer on Orange is the New Black, I 
spent 10 years working with an organization called the Texas Equal Access Fund in Texas, which is an abortion fund that helps um, low-income people when they want an abortion and can't afford it. And, uh, and when we started that organization in 2004, it was because we felt like the situation was so dire then, and we really could not have imagined how much worse it would get. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I'm still talking about it, and I still love talking about this. I think it's a really important experience to talk about and represent on television. Um, so just by way of introduction, uh, I, I just want to say a little bit about abortion on screen as we've been seeing it recently. Um, it's an extremely common experience, as I, I think uh, a lot of people are beginning to understand and talk about more. The statistic is about one in four people who can become pregnant will have an abortion. So all kinds of people have abortions for all kinds of reasons and feel all kinds of ways about it. You can never run out of abortion stories. Um, and even if it weren't as common as it is, it's a nexus of all these things we think are really important and dramatic, sex and death and religion and politics and family. So for various reasons, it's it really should be appealing to storytellers, and yet we don't see it represented in film and television all that often. Um, but we are seeing more abortion storylines all the time, which is really exciting and promising, um, so certainly more than we used to. Um, however, while we're seeing abortion depicted uh, in film and television more often, there are still a number of pretty significant disparities between abortion in real life and abortion on screen. Um, for example, in real life, most people who get an abortion are already parenting, but uh, there were 32 abortion stories in TV shows last year, and only one of those featured a character who was already a parent. So that kind of discrepancy, I think, perpetuates the myth in our collective unconscious that there's some kind of difference between people who get an abortion and people who parent, and there's not, and TV can really help change that. Um, but the priority for a storyteller is also, of course, to tell the best possible story. So it's not necessarily to reflect reality or raise people's consciousness or explain abortion. Um, but we have this stellar panel of uh, amazing storytellers gathered today to reflect on uh, their experiences creating and watching abortion stories. So I have a question for each of you related to your own show and experience writing about abortion, but I'd like for this to be conversational. So even if the question is addressed to someone else, feel free to chime in if you have anything to say. Um, and I'd like to start with JC and Handmaid's Tale, uh, which is, I think, the most recent uh, episode of television featuring an abortion, uh, just in the, in the most recent season, a few weeks ago, the episode um, featuring uh, a flashback with the character Janine told this abortion story. And the storyline made a number of deaf choices that I was really excited about. And uh, I'd love to hear you talk about some of those, like um, how y'all broke the story in the room and then your experience writing it. Um, specifically, I think if you can talk a little bit about the decision to make it a medication abortion versus a procedural or surgical abortion, um, I think uh, I'd be interested to hear about that because we don't see medication abortion on TV uh, very often. And then anything else you'd like to say about that episode, yeah. JC? Uh, great, well, um, so much to say. Um, it, you know, it's really interesting. That storyline is something we've been trying to put on the show since season two, actually, because obviously our show, it's so much myriad and kind of like what women are dealing with in terms of oppressive tactics by their governments throughout the world. And and we, we couldn't in good conscience let the show keep going without addressing the state of abortion um, here and, and, and around the world. So we've been trying for so long to find the right place to put it. And it happened, um, I'd always 
I'd always hoped that it would be the the Janine character who went through with it because um, it seemed like such a, a, a it seemed she seemed like such a, an appropriate kind of woman to uh, who would have experienced something like this. So for, um, so in, in the show, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's, um, we flash back to Janine, who's one of our handmaids and she's about 19, 20 years old. She's working as a waitress in Denny's and she's trying to get off work, um, to go to a medical appointment. And she finds herself, um, at something called a crisis pregnancy center, which, uh, we, I'm sure we can talk about, uh, at some point down the line where, uh, she is kind of given this like horror story about what will happen to her if she gets an abortion, that, that she'll be infertile, that she'll be depressed, that the baby pieces will kind of get left inside of her. And um, then they tell her they don't actually provide abortions there, which is 100% the reality of, of these clinics, quote unquote clinics. And then we think we it's a little bit of a misdirect because we know this character had had a baby and we know this character had done something bad to, to warrant becoming a handmaid. So everyone, so the assumption was supposed to be that she got talked out of having an abortion. And the reversal in the end of the story is we find out that she's already parenting that child that we knew that she had and she's um, aborting kind of a second pregnancy. So uh, we really wanted this story to be much less about the abortion itself and more about the experience of um, the, what happens in between the decision to get an abortion and, and to have the abortion. And we had a, we had a, like, we had like a full, we could have done three episodes. We had like a whole <laughs> thing, a kind of road trip episode. Um, because as we know, like so, there are so many places where one has to travel long distances in order to get an abortion. And um, as TV wants to do, we, we kind of ended up with a, three scenes instead of a full mm -hmm. story. So we, um, we wanted to choose kind of the most, um, we want to choose the most affecting moments for the character. And, and um, so that's how we ended up with this particular story. And the reason I, I wanted it to be a medical abortion is that it isn't something we, we see often. And, and um, it, it is something that's so common now. Like the, if you look kind of the rates of medical abortions are just, just continuing to, to go higher and higher because as I'm sure all of us know, most women get, most women who seek abortions, like it's like the vast majority who seek abortion care uh, do so within the first 10 weeks of pregnancy, which is when one's allowed to kind of, when a medical abortion is, is effective. And to me, that always is such a great statistic because it's like women don't torture themselves for the most part, like mm -hmm. over this decision, it's a very difficult decision. And, and I want to, that's, hundred percent of the time, but it's not something that they like wrestle with for, for many, many weeks, they just kind of go for it. So I, I wanted that kind of certainty and, um, responsibility. I find it so responsible. Uh, it's such a responsible mm -hmm. choice to, to seek a medical abortion. I mean, it, it, to me, that indicates this is a woman who would have used or would have had effective birth control if it had been in her means. In my episode, the condom fell off, which is a huge, uh, ineffective condoms is one of the biggest reasons that women end up with unwanted pregnancies. Um, and then, you know, that they're seeking out abortion care that early, that means they're not like these, the selfish woman who's like, maybe I'll mm -hmm. keep the baby and maybe I I won't. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to show the certainty and I wanted to show that even a young woman making such an incredibly responsible choice to terminate a pregnancy that will uh, hurt both her life and the life of a child that she already has and seek, seeks out abortion care immediately was, was really um, kind of what drove that story for me. 
Cool. Yeah, I love the reversal of uh, or the reveal that she already has a child. I think that w it, it was really effective. Like I really felt the assumptions even I had been making and then remembering and realizing, oh, and it does immediately help you understand that choosing an abortion is also oftentimes really about love. And it's about how to best take care of the kids that you already have, but it's also about how to best take care of yourself. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think it, it was just really effective storytelling I, that I, I really uh, appreciated it. So thank you. Yeah. yeah I, to me, the, the kind of worst part of, of the amount of misinformation in the world about, about abortion care is this idea that it, it comes down to like a selfishness in a woman mm -hmm. and it really, it, it abs it, that women for some reason are like, we, we must take on the burden of wanting to have sex by destroying her lives with unwanted right. pregnancies and it's and if you really if you talk to anybody like if they if you really try and like sort out like is that really what you believe do you really believe that a young woman um or a woman who was coerced or a woman in a situation who do you really believe that like selfishness is like the primary reason that she doesn't want to have this baby so I really wanted to take a character where you would assume that like that narrative would be uh, applicable that she's she's well she's mm -hmm. just selfish and she wants and and that's not it's just never the case and and to me mm -hmm. like the future of abortion stories is very much combating kind of the misinformation that's surrounding women who make that choice yeah cool um so on on that note actually I, i'd like to ask janine to talk about the episode of of claws um because i feel like it really does uh it, it does some new things with abortion storytelling. Or I think uh, um, in this conversation about abortion on screen, we often talk about uh, the need to represent um, a, m more of a diversity of experiences with respect to how abortion actually happens and reflecting the reality of it. And uh, it's a pretty narrow slice that we see on TV. Usually uh, we see people who are young, who don't have kids, and are white, and in reality, um, most people have are already parenting. Um, it's uh, fewer white people in reality than you would see on television, and then it like the class issues are not represented. But I think what's interesting about the Claws episode is that we also don't see much of a diversity in tone on television. That it's often um, we're still like more attached to the idea that abortion has to be an intensely dramatic uh, experience. And the Claws episode really does some beautiful things with um, moving more toward comedy and absurdity. And I thought that was radical and amazing. And she has a really um, supportive partner. And uh, I would just love to hear you talk about how y'all built that episode and decided to tell the story that way. Yeah, um, we did this, we did the episode um, probably season two, I think. And um, we really wanted to show a woman of color, you know, battling whether she wanted to have an abortion or not. And we wanted to show kind of all the sides that go into like making a decision and the judgment and the fear and then, you know, the resolve. And all, we wanted to show everything. And um, because we deal with a nail salon and the nail salon is sort of like a psychological center of all these opinions, we used it as a way to get different people's opinions on the subject matter. And 
not, you know, and, and kind of removing our politics away from it so that we could actually hear everyone express their opinion. Um, and then, you know, we followed Virginia, the character um, who is a young woman, you know, with her partner, Dean. Um, and, and you think, you know, when she's going into the clinic that, you know, she's very, very fearful of all the screaming voices and all that. And you think that she's gone inside and then maybe she, you know, had a change of heart, um, but she's convicted and this is what she wants to do. And, you know, when she comes out, you know, the, the, the pro lifers outside think, oh, they've changed her mind. And the truth is she decided, you know, to get married. They became closer because of this, um, <laughs> because of their journey that day. Um, um, I think we just wanted to approach it with humor because it is done with such seriousness. Um, we wanted to approach um, the friends that come to visit you or the friends you share, you know, the, the, the jokes and the internal monologues inside that might be going through your head or a character's head. Um, and I think a lot of young women who saw the episode were very, very moved by it because it was accessible to them and it wasn't so kind of laden with so much drama that um, they, they didn't understand it or it, it was distant for them. I think it felt like this is somebody that they know and um, this is somebody that like looked like them and felt like them and that, you know, made a decision that she stuck by. But, but I think mm -hmm. that that was a choice to kind of say, let's approach it with humor um, because life is, you know, both dramatic and comedic. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I, I also love the way um, her decision to have an abortion prompts other characters to talk about the, the reproductive decisions they've made in their lives, yes. which is amazing. That's a very real part of this. So I love that you included that. Yeah, we had, a you know, another character who, you know, told a story about how, you know, she wanted to have an abortion when she was younger and her parents found out and they made her have the child and gave, you know, she had to give the child away. But she was trying to, you know, um, make her own decision. But because of laws, you know, she wasn't able to. So I think it. it it allowed other women within the salon to tell stories because I think if you have 20 women in a salon based upon the statistics you just kind of laid out, you know, you're going to have many of them who've had an abortion or who've contemplated one. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, one in four. I mean, I think uh, I thought you, you probably have all experienced this as well, but something really cool that has happened in my life as I've been, um, writing about abortion, uh, and I, I've been trying to write a TV show set in an abortion clinic for a while now. <laughs> um, and uh, when I talk to people about that project, or when I've written an opinion piece or an essay about abortion, often my friends will tell me, uh, or people that I'm talking to will tell me about their own experience with abortion. And um, sometimes, like fairly often, this is the first time they've shared that story with someone. And that's been really interesting to me and kind of sad too, because these are my liberal progressive friends that for the most part, I would have already assumed that they support access to abortion, et cetera. And my realization that that's how 
high the bar is for us to open the conversation is someone has to tell you, I'm writing a show about abortion. Then a person feels like, oh, you're safe to talk to about this. I'm like, mm -hmm. the bar needs to be much lower. Um, so uh, I, I feel like it's cool, but it also does uh, tell us that it's important to tell these stories so that people feel like it's okay to talk about it, uh, you know, and having characters perform that kind of interaction, I think is really important. Um, so my next question uh, is for Linda. I think you've had such an interesting experience with um, the way uh, the earlier episode of Degrassi, the accidents can happen, uh, the accidents will happen uh, episode in 2004 that was kind of like, blacklisted in the United States uh, and then doing I Regret Nothing in 2017 in the next class that just within this generation, there's been such a shift. Uh, I'd love to hear you talk about the experience, the difference, the change over time and, and the, the, that first experience compared to the more recent one. Well, thank you. And actually, when you talked about the first experience, that was not my first abortion story. Um, the first abortion story that we told on Degrassi went on air in um, 1989. And oh, wow. Yeah, we did it. 1989. But awesome. it's very interesting because I'm listening to what you're saying about about the angst of abortion. And because our show was aimed at teenagers, um, it, I was interested to hear Kate's introduction because our show actually had a double mandate. We were both entertaining and educating. And particularly back then, and we're talking about the times before the internet, or um, our show was one of the few places that young people could get their information. So when we did our abortion show in, in 1989, not seriously, um, we used, we had identical twins on our show and we used the device of identical twins who were Roman Catholic. And um, the one girl had been away at summer camp and came back and um, we didn't know the circumstances about how she got pregnant, but she'd had sex while she was away and she was pregnant. And we use the identical twins as an opportunity to come up with both sides of the um, abortion debate. And you have to remember way back in, in this time, I mean, there were, I guess there still are, not so much in Canada, but a um, lot of protesters, like abortion clinics were new. There were a lot of protesters. Our girl did decide to go through with it, but it was an angst-filled decision for her. We carefully weighed either side. She had to plow her way through um, protests to, in order to get actually into the clinic. Um, and our show ended just as she was walking into the abortion clinic. So it wasn't then until I came back with The Next Generation um, in 2004, um, it, the, the climate had changed. And um, we developed an abortion story and we did it both with our partners at Teen Nick and with our Canadian producing partner, but what was interesting about that one, first of all, um, there was way less angst in it. We still did, because we were dealing with a teenage audience, we still had a device of equally weighing the, the different um, you know, pros and cons. Our character did go through with it, but at the end, um, she was there with her mother. Her mother supported her choice. And when it ended, we, we, we were inside the clinic. She was, the show ended as she was going into the procedure room. And she had this like little smile on her face, not a big one, but just like, it, it wasn't like our previous one. There was so much angst in, about it. This one, she, 
she knew she's, she was making the right decision. Her mom supported her. And that was 2004. But interesting, um, 2004, if you recall, was when the big women's march was happening in Washington. Mm, and, mm-hmm. uh, and so our broadcaster, Teen Nick, who had been with us throughout the development of the story, um, got very nervous and um, because the, the, the climate had changed and they actually pulled the episode and they wouldn't air it. It didn't go on air for another um, two years. I was, Which, I was uh, 17 and I remember illegally downloading it. Like, well, we, literally, like wow. going on LimeWire and being like, I need to see this Manny got pregnant episode. Wow. <laughs> and the, the I owe you like $2.99. we we had so many of our american audience complain and they were mad at us and you know the show was supposedly geogated but a lot of people were were watching it so then my most recent abortion story um we told in um 2017 i believe this time we were on netflix and um, we took a, we still, our whole mandate was to neither sensationalize it nor trivialize it, but just normalize it. And um, we had a, a young character. And at this time, we um, actually had the abortion happen at the middle of the show. She made, she made the choice. She knew it was the right choice. This time we actually went further with her. We took her inside the clinic. We actually went into the procedure room with her and we saw the doctor talking to her. And we just heard, we were on her face as we heard the sounds of the procedure begin. That happened in the middle of the show. Um, Then in the second half of the show, she went back to school, everything's cool. Um, Somebody found out about it. I won't bore you with all the details. she was getting shamed and she was getting shamed on social media and whatnot. And she ended up owning um, her choice. She made a vlog that she uh, broadcast around the whole school. And she basically said, um, yesterday I was pregnant. Today I am not. I stand behind my choice. I know it was not everybody's choice, but I believe in what I did. And we empowered her with that message. Um, interestingly enough, uh, we were on Netflix at this time, um, and Netflix had been very good with very little pushback on our storyline, but it certainly was the abortion storyline that we got the most, um, the most pushback on, uh, but they did air it. It didn't, it didn't get, so it's been quite a journey for me in terms of watching this evolve over, you know, what, a 35 year old history, actually. <laughs> Right. And then just tracking the way that reflects, you know, our, our public understanding of abortion is really fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's so incredible though, that, you know, as you said in your opening remarks, that it's so much back in the news again now, like you think we've Mm -hmm. we've got somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. We're not there yet. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Karina, I'd love to hear you talk about um, the Roswell storyline. And uh, I know your character um, was an alien. Y'all, <laughs> yes, in, yes. <laughs> right. Yes. I love it. Uh, uh, but so I love the, the, the metaphorical level of that, that it is also something we should talk about more that when um, I've, I've had two kids and I've had two abortions and I've had a miscarriage. So I've been pregnant five times and the experience of pregnancy is being overtaken by another life, like actually. So 
there's a lot to be said about the comparisons with alien and body snatching. And <laughs> like, there's a lot of material there. Um, so yes, yeah. please. Yeah. Tell us. And, and especially about how the studio and network reacted to the development of that story. Yeah. Um, so the, the genesis of it for me, we were uh, on hiatus in between our first and second season. Um, and I should say just, so that everything is clear. I'm, I'm not running the show anymore. I was running the show at the time of the, uh, at the of this episode. Um, I, in between our first and second season, um, I was reading a lot about the heartbeat bill that they were trying to pass in Georgia. And jo we shot the show in New Mexico. I was in New Mexico at the time that I was reading all this stuff. Um, but I have, a, a, I spent, Georgia was my second home on my previous show for five years. So my heart was really breaking just shattered for the women that I work with, worked with in Georgia, having to deal with the idea for anybody who's watching who doesn't know the heartbeat bill is this, this that it, it's a law that keeps coming up. Right now they're dealing with it in Texas. Um, they keep trying to pass these laws that say that um, once you can detect a fetal heartbeat, you are no longer able to get an abortion. And that is, I believe something like six weeks in. So that's like, one missed period, maybe you might not have even missed mm -hmm. your period. It's mm -hmm. often a lot earlier than people have even been able, even know they're pregnant, even if they are really right. responsible. So um, I was shattered by it. And I, Roswell addresses a lot of real life issues. Um, the lead character of our show is the daughter of two undocumented Mexican immigrants. Um, you know, where we were dealing the, the, the alien story, my family's Muslim, the alien story was a big uh, metaphor for Islamophobia. So I was already in a political space while I was working on that show. Um, the CW and Warner Brothers were very supportive of that, of us working, you know, combating politics. We complained about the wall the, between the US and Mexico in the pilot episode of my <laughs> alien soap opera. So, um, for me, I never, you know, as I was sort of agonizing over the idea of this heartbeat bill that was getting passed in, in Georgia, my instinct was like, oh man, I wish I could tell a story of value here. And then I all of a sudden was like, oh fuck, I can. And then I was like, <laughs> now I have to, shit. <laughs> um, and it was what it basically the idea was we had three characters on our show who look like humans, but they're aliens. They cannot get medical care, period, because their insides look like aliens. So they don't get to go to the doctor. Um, and so we had this opportunity to tell a story about a woman who she has recently found out that she has been gaslit by the love of her life, uh, abused and controlled. And in season two, she discovers that he uh, that she's carrying his child, and um, we very quickly, you know, the the it, it was very different from any of the stories that I've seen on TV before because we were telling a story about a woman who could not get a safe abortion, um, and so she went to drastic, very dangerous lengths in order to get this abortion and the metaphor was that we were telling a story of what it, the world looks like when we restrict access to safe medical abortions. Um, and so essentially, you know, without all the alien details, she was ingesting alien poison um, alone 
uh, couldn't talk to anybody about it. The person who she loved, the person who she thought she loved had been gaslighting her. Her, the closest person to her, her brother had recently died. Um, so we were told the story via her having conversations with her hallucination of her dead brother, essentially. Um, it was, so it was different from, I think, what I've seen on TV, obviously, but the intention, the metaphor was, here's what happens when women can't go to a doctor. Um, and for me, that the complication became, this has to look ugly on the CW, where they don't really like things to look ugly. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, because the intention was, this is a dangerous abortion. I mean, we used, I'm sorry if this is uh, crass or triggering, you know, her brother said, this is some back alley coat hanger crap. And the, so we needed to make sure that she, uh, that we didn't try to shy away from the danger of it. I strongly believe, and the reason that I wanted to do this in the first place, I believe that restricting access to abortion is an act of violence against women and anyone else who can carry, a, who, who you know has a uterus. I needed it to reflect that on a show and on a network in which we have a ton of violence. Um, and the very, the, the complication became, and I wanna say Warner Brothers and the CW were very supportive of the storyline until we got to actually cutting the episode together and they didn't like the amount of blood that we were seeing. Um, and I got, I mean, it was, I wrote emails. I cried on the phone with the, the you know, standard <laughs> practices people, which I'm not proud of, but like, I was just, I, I said, I can't make this look pretty. I mean, at one point they said, can you make the blood silver and iridescent? So we'd already seen aliens bleed, get shot and bleed red on our show. Can you make the blood silver and iridescent? And I said, no, the whole point of this is to show how violent and ugly it is if we prevent a woman from getting, you know, this absolutely necessary med medical procedure safely. And um, the response was, Karina, you've already, we're already giving you as much as we can. This is the first as we can as a network. In fact, this is the first time we're ever seeing menstrual blood on this network. And I said, wow. I said, she's not menstruating. <laughs> she's bleeding to death because wow. of an act of violence she had to commit against wow. herself. She's not menstruating here. And my brain exploded. And um, ultimately we were, we ended up, I had to concede on one shot. Um, but we were able to keep the blood red. We were able to keep a lot of blood in the scene. I mean, it was, it was an interesting experience. It was tough. Um, it is the episode of television that I've written that I'm most proud of. Um, and one of the things that was really important to me, like as you guys talked about was in the, these conversations, she is very clear that she does wanna be a mother eventually, um, not under these circumstances, not you know with, the the uh, not to have a child with somebody who violated her um and not now and i think that that's you know something that isn't you know that there's this idea that oh just have the baby and put the baby up for adoption and then you you're free and you know 
10 months of a woman's life isn't just like nothing. It's not, you know, pregnancy for some people is an incredibly beautiful experience. And for some people, it's incredibly traumatic and incredibly uh, like damaging in the long term, emotionally and physically. And for her, it was going to be a very traumatic experience. And, um, you know, it was a traumatic abortion, uh, but it was an opportunity for me to say, look at, look at the world that you could be creating. The actual city of Roswell, New Mexico today is they consider themselves a very proudly a sanctuary city for the unborn. This is not mm-hmm. a sanctuary city for anybody else. Um, you know, it's a border town. It's not safe for any undocumented immigrant to be there. But apparently it's a sanctuary city for the unborn because you cannot get a a safe medical abortion within 400 miles. Um, And so it was really important. Yeah. Even though it was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah, the sanctuary city uh, business is happening in Texas quite a bit in Lubbock most recently, I think. And um, before the Lubbock city council decided to become a sanctuary city it happened in uh, many smaller places in texas city councils passing these resolutions saying they're a sanctuary city for the unborn but they didn't even have abortion clinics so it was just kind of a bizarre declaration of we intend to be violent toward women in my understanding of it um but now it is kind of catching which is frightening um i think that's an important story that a TV show could take up. I also like, uh, I love this story that, that, that focuses our attention on what happens when uh, you make abortion difficult uh, to access. It doesn't stop people from getting abortions. It just makes abortion much less safe. But I think there is also another opportunity in, uh, in storytelling about abortion that uh, to, to show a safely self-managed abortion that I hope we'll see more of on television as well. And uh, I think there's been um, a lot of fear around that as far as um, like encouraging people to manage their own abortion care. But that is another way to look at that is it is just another uh, flavor of controlling women and assuming they don't have agency and uh there are more resources all the time online all access is one but uh to self-manage abortion and that's going to become more and more important as uh states restrict abortion more and more and tv can play a really cool role in that um i'll just mention a film that i think is great that's uh quite a few years old now but it's called vessel and it's about it's a documentary about um women on waves which is a really cool project uh that everyone should know about um but they did this really great thing in the documentary where they had some animated sequences that showed exactly how to self-manage your own abortion with the medication if you get the medication from a reputable source and you know what you're doing uh and i thought it was really cool because uh it, it just the film came with this extra value of information that i think this is something that all of our storytelling about abortion can do. I mean, we want to tell a good story and we want the emotional experience to resonate, but it is also a moment in time and in our 
long struggle for the liberation of all people that, you know, we can do something exciting as far as explaining to people what the possibilities are. So, yeah, it's really um, interesting because I think that the, um, you know, like you, you said, the, the, as long as you're getting medication from a reputable source, that's key. Um, yes. And I think, especially for me, you know, and probably for Linda, who I'm just so excited to be on the panel with, because like, I'm a big Rossi <laughs> fan of it. Yes. Um, yes. When you're speaking <laughs> to a younger audience, and you are always aware of, you know, what, what you're teaching. I did, mm-hmm. Roswell, there wasn't a mandate to like educate, right? The way that there is sort of with Degrassi. I don't want to say mandate. There's an opportunity with Degrassi to, to educate. For me, I was never asked to like, you know, show good people doing good things and, and, you know, have a moral to the story. But I do have, as a, as a storyteller, I have an emotional liability to think about the way that audiences watch something and the way that they process it and might apply it to their own lives. Because I have to believe that what mm-hmm. we do matters, right? So I have to believe that people take something from the show other than entertainment sometimes. Um, but for me, I think that that what you're talking about is where you get into, you know, telling very specific stories very, very carefully. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I got asked a lot when we were in the process of, of writing this episode was, you know, have you consulted experts? Have you consulted experts? And I just kept being like, I, I, I'll consult whoever anybody wants me to consult. I will. But this is a thing that happens to one in four women or sorry, one in four people who can get pregnant. This is mm-hmm. a very universal story. There were people in the writer's room who were you know telling our own stories there were people on set who were telling their own stories and so the for me getting into um anything that would involve self-administered like safely self-administered abortions was way over where i was Mm -hmm. sort of like roll my own dice and take a risk with my own storytelling i would be i I would see that but not yes and and i think that this (laughs) makes me um, think about the, also, I, I feel like we actually need to tell as many abortion stories as we possibly can, because it's only when we have uh, a great quantity that we can see all the different varieties of experience that are possible. And, and when we only have one here and there, that each one of those stories has to carry too much weight in every direction. Um, so I think we have time for maybe one more question. And I, I, I would just like to hear any of you talk about any abortion storylines you've seen in TV or movies that you found particularly moving or that are like your favorite abortion stories or uh, and or stories or tropes you feel like um, you're tired of seeing. So e- either way. Um, well, I think the the... Well, first there's, um, God, there's so many. I have to mention three, my three favorites. The first one is uh, <laughs> Dirty Dancing, which is just the literally like the, one of the best abortion stories that's ever existed. The whole movie is like a pro-legal abortion story. It's so great. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I saw it as a child and I didn't understand what was going on, but it's very, it takes place at a time where abortion is illegal. And this this poor woman who, um, actually she's not a poor woman. I think that's what I loved most about her. It's like the, the hot dancer who's like the the kind of the girl that um, baby wants to be ends up pregnant by this shitty guy who also ends up me- messing with her sister. And she gets 
a, a doctor. Like this is what, you know, this is what it was like to, you know, who, who butcher, who really hurts her and, and baby's father has to help her. And baby, I also think, you know, that story has something that, um, we that is just occurring to me now that we don't see very much. Maybe we need to see more of is men supporting abortion, um, mm-hmm. uh, and that you know because because her father is so just like furious not at the woman for getting pregnant and getting an abortion, but furious that somebody hurt her while she was trying to get abortion care, which I think is really beautiful. But I think the gold standard of abortion scenes for me is a portrait of a lady on fire, and yes, it, it yes, hits on something <laughs> absolutely beautiful. But to me, it was so incredibly transformative to see that experience um, because it crystallized something and it's something I heard, you know, a couple of times in my research, which is women have always had abortions. I, I looked back and yeah, there, there is literally, <laughs> yes, there is literally prehistoric evidence like for uh-huh. of, of, of abortion. This is a, a fundamental facet of a woman's existence throughout there's never been a time or a civilization or anything where abortion has not been practiced and i really think that we have to just keep saying that like it's not you're not you're not getting rid of abortion you're getting rid of illegal abortion you're not helping unborn babies or hurting like it's just it's so important that we divorce it from the Christian right and all of these factors that are at play right now and the Republicans using it as a, as like a primary fundraising platform, but like very much like, no, this is not like, this is just human. This is just humanity. And I think that's, um, that was like amazing to see that something in the past of women and women coming together and using the things that they just figured out how to use. Yeah. Thank you. I was just going to say like, I, I was, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, I haven't seen enough of them on TV to say, like, what is my favorite? Because I feel like there just needs to be more told. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a panel with Hollywood and Health, and I think one of the panelists did one where the woman ordered, you know, the morning after pill on Postmates. And I thought, oh, that's like a really cool, like, storyline, <laughs> because that's making it normalizing, um, you know, your rights. But I, but I think we just need to tell more, you know, and, and then Absolutely. I, then it maybe in five years, I'll have a favorite because it will be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Dirty dancing for me was definitely the blueprint for the, the Roswell episode that we did. Um, but uh, I will say I brought up Manny's little smile um, from the Degrassi episode in 2004 multiple times because that was the first time that I saw um, the uh, the sort of relief of it. Um, you know, the it was very important to me in in putting our our story together that after the abortion there was no torment and there was no you know uh, regret. There was just relief. Okay, that's done. Moving on with my life, I feel better now. Um, and that I think is what I would like to see more of. I do think that, um, I don't know if any of you guys saw the movie Unpregnant. I think it was on HBO Max. It's a Berlanti, Sarah Schechter film um, that came out during the pandemic. Um, and that was the best um, depiction of what actually goes on in the procedure that I've ever seen. Um, and it really, you know, there was this huge big deal with lots of hijinks to get this young woman, she took a road trip with her friend to get to a place where she could get an abortion without parental consent. But um, once she got there, it was just like, 
fine. And it didn't, it wasn't, you know, presented as painful or traumatic. It was explained as if, you know, step by step, as if you were sitting in that room with that doctor. Um, that's what I think, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more of, though I also understand that it's like, it's not the best TV ever to sit and, and watch a very normal, very sort of. Mm-hmm. Un- yeah, it's actually a very boring kind of them. anticlimactic, like quick procedure. I yeah, think the assumption is that the, re- that the anti-choice right has, you know, uh, put into all of our minds is that there is a lot of, that it's a horror show and it's not. <laughs> it's like you can hardly tell anything is happening. It's actually not great TV at all. Um, but it yeah. would be cool to see that on screen more. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah. that the other thing that I would like to see more of, I think, is um, happy couples in relationships, financially stable, who decide to get an abortion for whatever their reason is, whether they have kids already, right. don't want to have kids, or they don't want to have kids at all, or it's not the right time, or whatever, you know. I think that in my experience, um, I mean, that was my experience. Like it was, it wasn't a financial burden. It wasn't a, a you know, a, a traumatic relationship. Just don't want a baby right now. Um, yep. And, you know, and I think that that I, I rarely see that on TV. Yeah. I think that, that that is actually the most common experience of abortion too. So uh it it unfortunately television needs high drama so i think there's a little bit of a misrepresentation just to serve the needs of story but in reality it would be great to see more of that because that is what most people who get an abortion experience it's now you say that not rape or incest or you know yeah in uh, general i think like it's really hard to use tv to normalize anything because like we're not trying to watch our daily life all the time. No, <laughs> we're yeah. trying to tell a story, yeah. but like yeah. you know. Well, I just it was interesting to hear that uh, Karina was saying that you know she had so much sort of pushback from the network, and I've worked with the CW before, and on on a lot of things they're great. But oh, they were great, and I should say the pushback was about the blood, not the story. <laughs> I want to be really clear that I'm not like shitting on the CW. It was the amount of blood that they didn't want to see, which I struggled with because I had come off a vampire show where I'd like come home from set drenched in blood and I'd be like, what, you're telling me to do this now? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I want to be really clear. They were supportive of the story, but just not the amount of menstrual. My experience, it's, it has been, um, for every time I've, now admittedly, I understand that I'm dealing with a young audience and there is much more concern that, you know, the, the young people are learning things. I mean, I've been accused of turning people gay and all sorts of terrible things. But <laughs> um, it is of all the shows that I've done with a number of different broadcasters, it has been the the one topic that I've had the most pushback on. And it's exhausting as a producer to to keep pushing and keep fighting and you have to give your gives and, and whatnot. So it's, you know, it's not just about do we have writers and producers who are willing to tell the stories. We really need the support from the uh, broadcasters as well mm-hmm. to get these stories on air. I agree. Yeah. It was also, well, it was also the most complicated those were the most complicated notes calls I've ever been on. And there's the additional thing there that like, you know, you don't want to talk about, but like, yes, I'm running a TV show, but I'm also a human being. I've got other people I'm on the line. I've got other women on the line. 
who have had abortions, I've got, you know, on these notes calls Mm -hmm. and there it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to divorce yourself from your passion about this when you mm-hmm. really feel like you're like trying to save lives <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. and then you're like get, yeah. getting told, please make the blood silver and iridescent. <laughs> I, I also think in these stories, it's such a great point is that we, we, we also have a real, like I, one thing that was so surprising to me um, in my episode, we, when she finally does attain her, her medical abortion, the doctor gives her the, the preamble that she got at the, pre- pre- the crisis pregnancy center that all these bad things are going to happen, which they have to tell you, but also that none of you. And I, I, I think that the next phase of kind of abortion care storytelling is, is also combating all of the lies and misinformation that surround abortion. I remember my, after my episode, talking to my father about the abortion, about the state of abortion in the country. And he says to me, oh, I, I just don't agree with when they get an abortion at nine months. And it took me a second to like <laughs> realize he was being serious because I genuinely didn't believe that like that to me, that's such an unbelievable fallacy. Like how could anyone right. that, but um, to show having a doctor ex- kind of explain and, and combating some of that is, is really, really important and, and um, exciting to do. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, I think we're out of time and I, I really could talk to you all about this all day. So uh, thank you so much for your amazing storytelling and going to the mat for this. Uh, it's so important and it was a pleasure to talk to all of you. So thank you very much. Thank you, Marriott. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for listening to ATX TV's original series, The TV Campfire. To watch these panels and more, please visit youtube.com backslash ATX TV. For details on the festival, go to atxfestival.com. And information on our membership program can be found at atxfestival.com backslash membership. Follow us at ATX Festival on all social media. As always, please rate and review. We appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And a simple click or brief comment can help us grow and have other TV lovers like yourselves find us. Feels like enough information, right? Yep. Till next time, keep watching TV.